Wars All In is a community of fans for all things Star Wars. We want to share our fandom with you, and we'd love for you to share yours with us. Find us on Twitter and Instagram by searching Star Wars All In. Also, search on Facebook to join in the conversation with our private group. We would love to hear from you. Galaxy, it's time for another episode of Star Wars All In, the podcast where we go all in on all the details of the galaxy far, far away. Hello, my name is Mac. I'm one of your hosts, and I'm joined by my rebel friend and co-compatriot here, Ross. Mac, I love getting up on a cold Wednesday morn and going and blowing up a battle station. There's nothing like the smell of burnt Durasteel in the morning. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Fight the power, man. Fight the power. Yeah, yeah. And that's what we're going to do this episode, because we're going to go, I'm going to say, we always go all in. We're going all the way yeah, in, like a deep yeah. dive into so, one little snippet You've probably heard the this OT. before, but I've said this multiple times. We like to spoil things here on Star Wars All In, because that's what the show is all <laughs> about. It's all about going all in on Star Wars that uh, I imagine we've all already seen. And hey, if you haven't seen Return of the Jedi... Well, you might want to go watch it before you listen to it's this It's very episode. weird you ended up here. Yeah, I don't it's know how that odd. happened. I, I mean, hey. I mean, welcome. Welcome to our podcast. To I don't know how you got here, but we're glad to have yeah. you. Yeah, but uh, if but you watch- have somehow not seen episode six, Return of the Jedi, maybe go check out another episode or go watch uh, Return of the Jedi and come back and visit us because I really don't want this spoiled for you. We're, we're going to break up the finale by basically talking about the Battle of Endor. And we're going to break that up a little bit. But before we start talking about what we're going to do yes. here, you have something to announce. Oh, I do. I do. So last week, you may have heard, if you listened to our episode at 14, that uh, we were giving away a Han Solo pop figure. Mm-hmm. Well, you may have seen on Twitter, when I went to go take the figure out of storage, I noticed the box had a little bit of damage. So to make up for it this year, or this week, or last week, well, I guess is how we're looking at it, I was giving up Future's away. always in motion. Yeah. I was giving away both the Han pop and a book. The uh, Journey to the Force Awakens book, Before the Awakening, which has a little tiny story about both Finn, Poe, and Rey about what they were doing immediately before they head over to Jakku to start Mm -hmm. off Episode 7. So it's a really great, quick, fun little read. Mm -hmm. You still get the pop, just a slightly damaged box. And our winner for that was... JDF Knight 21. Hey, congratulations. congratulations. We hope you enjoy it. So, we have already contacted you, and your pop and your book are on the way. So, that means this week, to continue our season of giving, we have another giveaway, Mac. Yay! As we continue to celebrate Life Day every day until January. We're going to stop for a little bit in January, right? Maybe. I don't know. Okay. Depends how I feel like giving, how how much I feel like I want to continue to give. Or how much you get for Christmas and have to move out of here. Well, <laughs> no, we're I'm glad to do it. Away. Because I, I found out my wife gave away my Darth Vader waffle iron. But you need that. How can She's you like, make we Darth already Vader have waffle? a waffle iron. I got you that really great 
Belgian waffle iron for your birthday. And I'm, I'm like, assuming you know, but it doesn't put Darth Vader's face well, on it. I was it. assuming you just told her, I was like, well, yeah, if we had too many waffle irons, I guess I'll have to part with the Belgian one. And then she's like, I mean, you never had used it at that point. I was like, oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> See, that's where I would just double down with that. But yeah. that's not the point. Well, Mac, you, you realize there's some battles you fight and some battles you don't. You know, Poe learned that lesson reason. in The Last Jedi. I learned it with my Darth Vader toaster. Maybe there's a reason that you're married and I'm not yet. <laughs> <laughs> nah, buddy. Nah, you just got to find the right rebel for you. <laughs> um, so <laughs> we have another item to give away. Yeah, what do we got? And uh, since we were talking a little bit about battles in Star Wars, I thought I would give you a copy of Star Wars Battlefront, the novel by Alexander Freed. So this is the tie-in novel from the first Battlefront game. This oh, is right. a uh, hardcover edition, uh, um, hardcover first edition. Twilight uh, Company, in, right? You know, basically just shelfware uh, condition, so it's pretty darn new. Uh, what was that, Mac? Twilight Company is yes, what it's yes. all about, Twilight right? Company is the subtitle. And it's oh, a good. great book because it, it shows you um, right around what's happening around the time of Hoth. Mm-hmm. So part of the book takes place on Hoth. There's also a little before or a little after. It's a lot of fun. It's a really fun read. Um, it's a really solid canon book. Uh, and the, the Hoth stuff you're going to love if you haven't read it. So if right. you haven't read this book, it's really, really good. Uh, I definitely recommend it. You know, it for me personally, it probably falls towards the lower end of my favorite can of, you know, of the canon books. Sure. But that's not really saying a lot because I like well, almost all of them a lot. And, and I a guy like this who one likes too. troops and stuff like that, yeah. it, it's pretty good because it, it's it's a little more hard-boiled military fiction. Yeah. If you love the Republic Commando novels, you'll yep. love this. If, exactly. I mean, if Star Wars battles are your thing, especially ground battles, yeah. you'll absolutely love it. And if you love um, you know, the OT, I think you'll love it too. Mm. So this is one. Definitely check out all of the, uh, uh, you know, Info on this is going to be on our Twitter, so check it out, Star Wars All In on Twitter. Uh, And I'm going to be giving it away to someone, so uh, check that out starting right now, today. Awesome. So, yeah, take a look at our Twitter and get in in there, um, and we hope to give it away to someone who really wants it, so we're excited about that. But for tonight, we're going to focus on a different battle. We're going to focus on the ground, the space, and the personal battles Mm -hmm. going on in the Battle of Endor, and we're going to break that into those three parts. So we're going to talk about the land battle for about 20 minutes, about what Han and Leia and C-3PO and Chewie are all doing on the Sanctuary Moon of Endor, which we now know is not the only viable moon of Endor, because there's another one. Can't wait to see... Rise of Skywalker, again, Mm -hmm. timestamp. We haven't seen it yet. If it hasn't been apparent in every episode up to this... Yeah. Rise of Skywalker hasn't come out yeah. yet. Yeah. Can't wait for that to we've ruin given out half trying of what not we've to timestamp these episodes. Uh, yeah, no. I think it's part of it. I think they'll be more timeless on the other end, but that's probably a wrong too. Well, you yeah. know, it's an evolving thing. So we're going to talk yeah, about the ground here. battle for 20 minutes. Then we're going to take and look at the space theater battle, see what Lando and Akbar and Wedge are doing to mm-hmm. fight. And um, Nine Nub. And Nine Nub trying to fight uh, out there in space. And then we'll wrap up by looking for a little bit longer, about half an hour, at the personal battles between three ways of Vader, Luke, and the Emperor. So stick around with us. This is going to be a good one. Let's get all in.
we find ourselves on the sanctuary moon of Endor. Apparently not the only inhabitable place in the Endor system. But on the sanctuary moon, a very fateful thing occurs. The first act of the Battle of Endor. You know, I've been thinking a lot about this whole Battle of Endor thing that we were going to cover this week. Yeah. And we thought a lot about what would be the way to talk about the battle on the ground, right? The forest mm-hmm. battle where Han and Leia and Chewie and R2 and 3PO and all the Ewoks, you know, they're all trying their darndest to bring down this shield generator. Right. And we thought to ourselves, what would be the best way to talk about that in an episode? Mm-hmm. And so here we are now breaking it down by the second. And I am ready. I'm ready to talk about because this the notes you took. Way to make more it... in depth than I think we were thinking it would be. And I am ready I... to talk about this battle. All right. Because it's a lot of fun. And I also have a lot of questions I want to ask you. I'm here for you, man. Okay. I'm ready for All right. It. So we're going to go through this and just start at the beginning, right? It's this about... Is, yeah, this is the land battle. This yeah. is the, the forest <laughs> move. This is, as I have way too often said, and again, I don't mean as an insult, it's out of endearment, the teddy bear picnic defeats the Imperial troops. Yes, 100%. So here we have, starting at one hour, 26 minutes into the movie, we see Chewbacca's head pop up over a log, mm-hmm. and here we have some of our characters... Uh, basically looking over at an Imperial landing platform and they're trying to devise their plan for how they're going to take out this shield generator. And luckily the Ewok friends that they've made, let Mm -hmm. them know that there's a secret back entrance that is not guarded. Mm -hmm. How lucky is that? Right now, the landing platform we're seeing is the same one we saw earlier in the movie where like Luke proverbially gets shipped off mm-hmm. um, and where that ATAT walker basically drops him yes. off to be We're just taken seeing by a Vader. very sort of different angle of it now. A little or more ground away. Yeah. yeah. But it's uh, really cool. And, you know, it's one of those things that until I was older and rewatched the movie, I never really thought about that. Because, I mean, that's got to be a matte painting, right? It has to be. What yeah. we're looking out and seeing there. Uh, and just like how awesome that is. You know, you don't really stop and appreciate it enough because whenever I think of this ground battle uh, in Return of the Jedi, I think about, you know, the the back door, the, that shield generator. I had the little play set, you know, oh, that yeah. was where I had my figures around. And uh, I always think of that. But you always forget this awesome scene that they paint to start. It's really, really beautiful. Well, the idea is like the back door is just a maintenance entrance to like the power plant for that facility. It's not mm-hmm. even really probably part of that facility. And I want to just say... Love that facility. It was always fascinating for a kid of like, oh my gosh, it must be powerful. It's got a satellite dish with little satellite dishes on it. <laughs> so you have that extra distance. It's very important. Oh, yeah. To see. It's, it's, it's very powerful. When you got a big battle station, you need a big array. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Nothing but the best for the Imperial Army. Well, I mean, hey, they have the funds, right? <laughs> so <laughs> basically, they get to the back door and everyone's like, oh, this will be much easier. There's only a couple of scout troopers here. And so they're trying to figure out a plan, and 3PO basically goes to Han, hey, uh, I think one of the Ewoks is acting a little rashly here. And we see that, uh, oh, man, Mac, I was going to look up all of the Ewoks' names, and I completely okay. spaced on that. It's okay. What was I doing? What was so important that I wasn't looking up the Ewok names? Anything. All right. Anything all right. Please forgive me. Okay, so... But we have our little teddy bear, and yeah. he's gone on his own, and he ends up getting on one of the speeder bikes, 
drawing the attention of the scout troopers, zipping off. And then the one trooper goes, I'm going to go after him. Runs on, gets on a speeder bike, zips away. And we're left with one one scout trooper. Two troopers. Two troopers follow the Ewok. Yeah, one stays behind. And I love it because as we see the Ewok going, you know, he clearly doesn't know what he's doing. But he's doing a great job. Yeah, right. he's doing a great job. He's doing well for, and he gets to a point where he's going so fast, he's hanging on just by his arms. His tiny little puffy body can't hold him, and he's just grabbing and trying to hold on to this speeder bike and going, you know, that loud high pitched squeal. And uh, you know, eventually he he kind of rolls off, jumps off, sort of, and uh, the uh, the speeder he's able to take down the other speeder bike. You know, they hit obstacles. And uh, they get distracted by the explosion and kind of like fly into it. And well, it's yep. a great scene, great success for that Ewok and the Ewok people. And I love in the tech nerd in me knows that uh, one of the things about speeder bikes that's a, a night Nighthawk speeder bike is they ah. designed it like because we what we saw on screen, we made it that that thing speeds up by taking the grips and twisting them backwards. Now, that's not how any motorcycle on Earth works, but sure, why not? That way he could hold on to it and it would still be going at maximum acceleration. I thought that is how motorcycles work. You you took your hand on the thing and you twisted it back and that makes it go faster? I thought it was twisting it forward. I thought uh, gear shifting on a motorcycle I mean, I'm twisting not the forward. person to ask. Well, Never well, driven we, we have a friend who's yeah. got a Harley. We can ask him. Okay. Clearly, um, Mac and I are not But then the other cool thing I was just going to mention is like the pedals don't are, are definitely not required because those are elevation controls. Okay. Oh, that's very good. You know, Mac, you teach me something new every day about Star Wars. But meanwhile, back at the Shield Jenner, we have we perhaps have... one of my favorite Han Solo <laughs> moments of all time. Say, so I didn't follow in love with Han Solo until two particular moments. Okay. This is one of them. But Mac, since you brought it up, I'm going to let you say it. I, so Han's like, all right, well, I got rid of most of them. We don't got to get this one. I have an idea. Everyone hide on the one side of the bunk. I'm going to go and distract him and bring him over. Well, how are you going to do that, Han? I'm going to go tap him on the shoulder, then run the opposite direction, and he'll fa- follow me. Yeah. And he does. <laughs> and then he comes around the corner, and there's just, like, all the people in battle ponchos just going, like, eh, we got yeah. you. Put your gun down. He's like, yeah. That worked? And that stormtrooper just goes on the rest of his life going, yeah. like, I can't believe that worked on me. <laughs> when that uh, when they run around the corner, yeah, right, didn't it get retcon that that one rebel trooper there is Rex from the Clone Wars? The one with the white beard. What? Didn't that get retconned no, somewhere along I don't the way? Know. Oh. Is that, or is that just like an internet thing that went around? I, I, like, I'd be I, this fine is with that. Memory. I mean, why not? I mean, Rex definitely has a beard thanks yeah. to Rebels. But I mean, he'd be, he'd be even older than he was in Rebels because that's like yeah. five years further down the road yeah. for a clone that ages twice as fast as everybody. That's, yeah. I don't know. Let's look. You know, we'll talk about that in the appendix. I'll look it up. Okay. Because I swear I remember something about this. This just came to me now. But again, I love it. It is, right? it is such a callback to Han Han Solo's like, hey, we're all fine here. How are you? Like just this totally stupid plan that only works because it's so stupid. Yeah. And it is. It's, it is. But it is a Han Solo thing. <laughs> totally. And I love it. And I oh, I can't wait to talk about the next moment here in a second. But before sure. that, they get into the bunker, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and they think. Great success. It's you know, going they well. Think they've got it. They didn't. It's, they didn't know. It seems like our heroes had a really lucky break, right? Just put these Campbell the soup Ewoks cans everywhere. Them. Turn the kitchen yeah. timer on. We're ready to go. But unfortunately, it was all a ploy by the Empire. This whole thing. The Emperor knew they'd come. He knew they'd be there. He lured them in. We find out in that. Uh, we find out in Battlefront Two 
that whole plot about uh, Iden Versio uh, purposefully getting captured by the rebels so she can delete the fact that the Empire knows they're coming. And that's Correct. also a small plot point in uh, that Leia book, Moving Target, that mm-hmm. young reader book, right? There's a plot point because the whole premise of that book, if you don't know, spoilers, well, you know, that's what we do here, is uh, they steal the shuttle Tidarium. That yep. book is about stealing the shuttle Tidarium yep. and finding out a little bit about the plan like well, the, the, that the Empire is going to be there. Oh, and that the Empire has made this all occur. The whole point, the whole Battle of Endor is a protracted yeah. thing from the Emperor. It's like it has some makeshift points to it, but the Emperor just basically sees it as, oh, well, if they're already about to find this out, kill more of these Bothans, send the wrong information about how we are vulnerable, mm-hmm. um, and uh, have them come. Because what I want to do is I want to bring them all together so I can strike them down all together. It worked on Mustafar. It's going to work here. It is a really smart plan when you think about how big of an annoyance the Rebel Alliance has become. Really, you know, it wasn't until the first Death Star that they really considered them a threat. And so here he's taking a very strategic, very smart, but relatively risky step. And beyond that, the other thing about it is he also knows that this is what has to happen because he's tried to destroy them in Empire in the years between trying to crush them and the fact was he couldn't get them to a protracted battle where they are all together right he would destroy a cell here or destroy a cell there but he wasn't killing the entire movement right it was an infestation yeah that's good now we should really talk about this more when we get to the, his actual scene in a little bit but it's happening now like well in because the movie, we you know these that scenes now are cutting in between they're brought back out of the shield generators hands above their heads and we see a freaking battalion <laughs> A battalion of the Emperor's best troopers, if I remember correctly. Hand right? chosen. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So after they get captured, right, it appears pretty grim. Because they're dead to rights. Yeah. I mean, they where are they going to go? What are they going to do? And uh, basically, 3PO <laughs> lures away troopers who are directly by Han and Leia, mm-hmm. right? And then the Ewok trumpet sounds. <laughs> Uh huh, and like a triumphant wave, those little teddy bears attack. Because apparently, much like the Imperial troops, they also brought all their gear and put it hiding behind the trees. They were ready. Like their I'm slings, surprised arrows, how fast they were able to amass an army, or put together these giant logs and put them yeah. in position for swinging. All the hang gliders they had to grab. Yep, they are a really resourceful little species. They are. Uh, they're great. Um, so one of the things that happens, <laughs> kind of early on. Is that there are stormtroopers just throwing Ewoks, just like picking <laughs> them, them up and just like tossing them, and I really love it because it is what you expect to happen, right? Like it is what you expect to happen at first, but then you see how resourceful they are. You see what they've been able to craft and come up with, and yes, not all of their weapons that they use are effective mm-hmm. against this mechanical marvel, but it's not really meant to be this big literal battle. It's meant to be. I mean, good versus evil, of course, but Star Wars has always had this kind of nature versus machine fight to it. Yeah. It's always had all these other tendencies, um, <laughs> but, you know, and these other things that it implies. And this is just one of them. And seeing this this unsuspecting force, this underdog, the same way yeah. the Rebel Alliance is this underdog, overthrow these stormtroopers is really, really awesome. And it all, all and, and again, it comes from hubris because again, it's basically these plastic armored guys with guns are coming against the Care Bears and somehow losing. Yeah, yeah. So they're 
totally continue to underestimate them and their resourcefulness. Yeah, and you know what? They do let us know that it's not like the Ewoks are just crushing them. We're no. just surprised that they fought back at all, right? We're surprised when they have the logs that crush the ATST's head, which I fully believe would work, by the way. If you'd had all night to prepare that. Yeah. Hey, man, they're quick. Like Again, beavers. that's my only thing about it is yeah. like you just put in these like two 250 ton yeah. pieces of redwood. Well, maybe they've been preparing to fight back. And again, and this is just the catalyst they needed. I, I'm again, suspension of disbelief. I'm only nitpicking because we're in the debt because we're going all in. We're going all in. Into the There's details. nothing wrong with nitpicking. We love this. And we they're triumphant. Wars, I, and for, okay. The first like thousand times I watched yeah. this, I was all all pro Ewok. Yeah. 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 I mean, Ewoks. I like Ewoks. Ewoks are something that I grew up liking. I didn't have any aversion to them. I didn't love them. I didn't have Ewok merch, but I yeah. like the design of Ewok. Um, for me, I feel like Porgs became to me what Ewoks were to a lot of people, which made me warm up to Ewoks even more. I think the um, biggest thing with Ewoks and the only reason I have any real negativity towards them is there's no real characters, even with um, Wicket. Mm -hmm. Like, they never get a voice. They never, like, communicate. They're always kept as this, like, primitive species. And so you never really get any real character other than the tribe. The tribe right. has a character. And I right. think that's one of the reasons I can't hold much, yeah, like, big love for them. I just right. like them as, like, what a wonderful part of the story. Right. And here's the thing, too. When you, when you really want to think about it, I like to think of all of these movies to a certain extent. You know, you can't give them too much liberty because it still has to be this entertaining thing, right? Like, they still need to hit other, check other boxes for you to enjoy it. But to a certain extent, I have always thought of Star Wars the same way we talked about Missing Fables a couple episodes ago. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it doesn't all have to be taken literally, literally. down to the well, wire. And it, you know what? I, I know we get caught up on continuity. And I'm a big fan of... Of the oh, Star yeah. Wars canon and this one giant story. So it's not so much that I'm saying it's okay that things don't always make sense. But these teddy bears are children in suits in 1982. <laughs> yes. I'm okay if that's what we can get on film. Because it's about the impact of this native oh. local species fighting back. So that's what the way I look at it. Just personally. Well, my biggest thing is like that when I when I complain about this at all, it is literally going to be the filter of it's a Saturday morning cereal in the Flash Gordon. You know, when, you know, Flash Gordon's get the Hawkman to go and fight the Death Ray Ray robot. It doesn't make sense that people can barefistedly beat a robot. That's not the point. The point is good triumphs over evil. Just go with it. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what happens go yeah. here. But they take a lot of losses, right? So we they see do. we see Ewoks getting dragged around by the feet of an ATST yep. because they've tried to take the hawk oh, tactic and roping uh, up. They try to trip it and then uh, they get dragged. I, which is a great moment. It is funny. It's it's, it's well, it's right? funny, but it's also kind of like a Oh, that sucks, guys. Like, yeah. you had a good plan. It just didn't work. Yeah. <laughs> They're trying their best. Uh, we have Han and Leia trapped against the bucker door, right? Oh. They're getting they're getting trapped. And R2 comes over, starts to get them in, and then R2 takes a shot. <laughs> and then this gets into... Oh, we get that great scene, too, right? Where mm -hmm. we see the electricity flash through him. He's kind of making those whirling sounds. Yep. And then you just see everything he has pop open and pop out. All of his little... Uh, hatches open up and it's just yep. this great little moment of all these little tools some you've seen ah, some you haven't yep. and it's just got like this it's one of the most satisfying moments I think to me from the original trilogy just because it was so cool and unique at the time when we saw it well Return of the Jedi is in many ways when you watch 
It's them going, hey guys, remember 77? This time we have a budget. And so yeah. it's like, that's what they would have done with the original like restraining bolt if they yeah. had the time and money. So it's that scene plus, you know, the Han tapping the guy in the shoulder and then trying to hotwire the door is him fluking his way through the Death Star. Plus, yeah. um, you know, the the land battle we see here is the Hoth. Plus, like we just get to see all this stuff that what does a quote unquote unlimited budget give you in 83 <laughs> for all these fun scenes? Yeah. Okay, well, and that's the moment I want to talk about. So after R2 takes a shot, mm-hmm. Han goes, well, I suppose I can hotwire this thing. With a wonderful shrug and a lopsided grin. Well, hold on a minute, because that's the moment I'm talking about. Oh, oh what happens is he's literally got his hands in it. I think I got it. I think I got it. And another layer of doors close. <laughs> this is my favorite Han Solo moment in all of Star a Wars. A blast door closes. Because yes. as this blast door closes, he does. He turns around, kind of looks, and he's like, what the heck? Like this look on his face <laughs> is just so casual, but at the same moment you just understand all of his frustration. And it's it is the this little so shrug look after that sort of comedic moment is the perfect encapsulation of what Han Solo is to me as this sort of matured character. Yeah. Of he's doing the right thing. He's there for the right reasons. He's helping his friends. But he's still just a guy trying to fall up in the universe. Yes. He's still just a guy trying his best. Fake it till you make it. And he's really confident. And that gets you a long way. He's obviously also extremely skilled and talented. He's the character but... that he's he's got this unflappable quality to him of like when things go don't go his way. He just kind of like just tries to push forward, which is a great character trait. And it's the character. It's the thing that. That gives us lines of, you know, well, you know, I have these for smuggling. I never thought I'd expect to smuggle myself in them. You know, <laughs> it's the it's the substance of, well, I was going to stick around in general until that that hunter on Ord Mandel. Like he keeps getting setbacks and his answer to it is just to try to like muddle his way forward. And mm-hmm. in new movies like Solo, when he says, yeah, it is. But if you round up is the exact same energy this scene has of the, huh, another blast door. Well, that explains those circuits. Maybe we'll try these ones. Like he just digs his hands right back into that control panel, gets back to work. Yes, it is endearing. It is. I I don't know a better way. You're right. I don't know a better way to describe it than that. It is endearing. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And it made me, it's still to this day. It's the moment when I watch it. It's when I love Han Solo the most. And I think he has a Mm -hmm. lot of great moments in episode seven. Obviously has a ton of great moments in the rest of the series. I'm not arguing that, but it's just, it's so simple and it's just this perfect little comedic bit in this middle of this hectic battle that just feels so Han Solo. It's a situation only he could be in. It's perfect. <laughs> okay. So after this, we got to bring it down because Nanta dies. Yes. We, we have a dead Ewok after this. And that is the one Ewok name I did look up. It is Nanta. Okay. And this is the one that gets shot, and the friend comes over and is like, oh. oh." Yeah, yeah. She gets taken out by an ATST blast. I mean, yeah. Those things are ferocious. An ATST's cannon is an anti vehicle weapon. It's a miracle. These teddy bears got to be a lot stronger against blasters than they come off as. I think they've got some thick hides, buddy. I'm just saying, if you took an RPG to the chest, you wouldn't, someone wouldn't come over to your body. They come up to the scorch mark. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um,. So this is when we get uh, Chewbacca going up and stealing the ATST. Oh, he manages to get up on the head. He's throwing, he's throwing the guys out of the cockpit. 
and he takes control of it, which is great. We also get a couple of quick flashes here. This is where we get the lasso of the speeder bike, mm-hmm. you know, where they get it to spin around and crash. And it's got that great sound effect. Yeah. Yep. That great sound. Absolutely. This is where we get the the ropes between the trees, the uh, logs coming down, you know, into the head. We get the tripping of the logs, which is which another really effective I, one I like. I love that scene mm-hmm. also because you can. I mean, the DVD is not super duper kind to it. It works, but like, I love seeing the maquette they had animating that, like Ray Harryhausen style classic animating those feet trying to get traction before it finally falls over. Mm-hmm. I love that. It is. It's great. It's great. Uh, then we get Leia getting shot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you're worried. I'm not going to lie. I'm worried the first time I'm watching it. Well, especially you know? she gets hit and basically crumples. Yeah. Which we like. Yes, we've seen like, you know, glancing blows near characters. But when we've seen we've never seen them get hit and just fall like that. Like mm-hmm. you feel the impact of that shot carry through her shoulder and throw her back into the corner. Yeah, absolutely. You're you're you think maybe someone has to go. It's for the a split second. Of a she's trilogy. You're worried that it's for real. For a split second, she's dead until you yeah. realize, oh, oh, it's just her arm. Okay. Yeah. And we have that great moment where Han comes up to her. You know, she goes, I'm okay. And then the stormtroopers come up behind them. And there's another I love you, I know moment, mm-hmm. which, you know, we finally get that Reciprocation, yeah. And then we have the moment that I really feel like their love is sealed when Han, you know, puts his hands up and she takes out the stormtroopers. Right? Because mm-hmm. that's when. Yeah, when she yeah. reveals the pistol and he's yeah. like. Oh, I'm hot for you right now. Yeah, it just feels like in that <laughs> moment, good. they're perfect for each other. And oh that's the signification of it. And so it's kind of weird. We're not going to talk about the moment today, but they have that moment after where he's like, oh, I get it. You love Luke. And she's like, no, <laughs> like, what don't you, you remember about? what just happened to the shield bunker? Like I- to me as a viewer, I thought that was the end of it. Well, and I think the thing about it is it's kind of funny when we see episode seven and they say they went back to what they were doing. Like, this is the quintessential, like, kind of summation of them as characters. He's lying because he's putting up his hands, even though he just knows it's a ruse. And she's about to be a general and still fighting to the last Mm -hmm. man. And Mm -hmm. it's fantastic. Yeah. Well, it's just that's such a classic, like, relationship thing or trope or whatever you want to say to you. Like, man, this girl definitely likes me. Oh, but you know what? Maybe not. <laughs> like, you know, this, this person is definitely into me. We just had that great moment over at the bunker. Oh, Doubt's no, eternal. no. There's that other guy. Doubt's there's eternal. There's that other person. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, and then we have the really great moment of them tricking the remaining troops who are inside of that little shield bunker it with the stolen ATST. Yes. Uh, you know, send out a few more so we can get the help. Oh, man. It's great. We're mopping up the last of them. Bring the... (laughs) You heard them send troops out to finish this. (laughs) Which I'm like, Yeah. apparently all the security cameras got blasted or something. I don't know. I mean... It works. It's another one of those just like... it works. I don't care. It works. And they open up the doors and basically we see the reverse of what happened, you know, X amount of minutes before where the rebels are like, ah, see, we got you this time. And Han has that great... Shrug with his gun of like, yep, ah, fooled you. Right. Another great Han moment. I forgot about that one. Yeah. And then they're like, we're going to go put the kitchen timers on yeah. those soup cans again. So screw y'all. Yeah. And then the final scene is them running out going, oh, go, go, go. <laughs> we sit it for too short. Keep running. This giant explosion and the great Whoa. scene of the satellite dish just crumbling, like being blasted apart. Where you know Ugh. it's not 
a matte painting because they blew the yeah, heck out of whatever scale mini they had up. there. Because yep. I also love that, like, the disc, you can kind of see that it's made of, like, a, a wafer of different mm-hmm. materials, like mm-hmm. a skeleton, because it, it, like, lifts up and then shatters as it's exploding. Yeah. It's great. Oh, what so a great good. moment. What a great battle. What a great scene. Endor is, well, you know, the forest moon of Endor. Sorry, I don't want to make anyone upset. Uh, yeah. Is, uh, it's going to get confusing going forward. Uh-huh. Um, well, I, the- it's just such a great place. It's such a great concept. It's such a great planet. And, you know, if you ever have a chance to see the Redwoods in person, I highly recommend you do it. Well, I think the cool thing about Endor is it's a place, you know, it's the forest. It's the classic, like, fantasy, giant, overgrown, super, super natural place that is this forest. But I think what makes Endor work so well, it's a place. It it actually exists. It's real, but it feels slightly foreign because most people have never seen that in person. Most people can't grasp the concept of how big those trees are. And on a movie theater in 1983, (laughs) really Mm -hmm. are going to look otherworldly, right? And still to this day, that forest doesn't look real, you know? But you know what's funny, Max? Sometimes I'm looking at pictures I've taken at the Redwoods. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, this looks like Endor. Like the way I frame this shot, <laughs> this looks like Endor. And then sometimes like, nah, nah, this this is just a place on Earth. But sometimes I'm looking at photos, I'm like, this looks like Endor. Well anyway. the most the most magical places are the places that feel foreign, like yeah. you said, that don't feel earthly mm-hmm. because they're just so unique on Earth. Yeah. And Endor was one of them. And we had a great battle there. And even the Emperor's greatest troops could not deal with a band of teddy bears and like 15 rebels. 15? 20? Maybe? 15? I don't know. It's not yeah, many. Not it's not, many. There's no. not a lot of battle ponchos. It's mostly Ewoks. Yeah. Hey, man. It worked. It got the job oh, done. Got the job done. And really, when you really think about it, they had the easiest role. <laughs> that was the easiest of the three, I think. The next part was definitely harder. But, yeah, the next part was definitely harder. Let's do it. Above the sanctuary moon of Endor, in the space around it in orbit of it, as well as the surrounding space of the Endor system, two gigantic fleets meet in combat. Coming from the far side of the moon is the hidden Imperial fleet to support the Death Star 2. Meanwhile, the entirety of the flotilla available to the Rebel Alliance is ready for one grand final conflict. It's all or nothing. It is all, (laughs) when you put it that way, I'm like, it's a grudge match, ladies and gentlemen, in our final (laughs) bout, a no submission contest. Yeah, I mean, that's what it feels like, right? You're going into this feeling like, this is it. I mean, Luke is facing his fears off somewhere, Han and Leia are off on a death mission, like, this all needs to work or a lot of people are going to die. And we basically have 
four main viewpoints to give us context on yes. this. We've got Lando on the Falcon, yep, who's kind of leading, up. who's leading the charge after mm-hmm. uh, getting the keys. Back. General Calrissian. Well, after from that... from Tabana gas miner to general in a year, well, less he... than a year. The Rebel Alliance. Up, up, and up. Well, he's done very well. As a man who's been trying to be an entrepreneur, who yeah. knew that that little maneuver at the Battle of Tanab yeah. would get him such a claim? Yeah. And, I mean, what he was able to accomplish, too, there were not many men like him who could rise that high in the ranks. Some might not have bet on the gambler. <laughs> um, uh. So we have Nilanub, and uh, I think we have one of the interesting things, just to preface that, yeah. is we have the Falcon armored up as a warship. There's someone at every single post. There's two guys in the gunner bay. There's a guy at the engineering console. The entire ship is manned in a way that we never saw before yeah. and we'll never see again. No. Flying. Well, there's like, well, <laughs> well okay. we could see again. We'll, we'll see. I, I, I don't think so because I don't think we'll see a pitched battle like that. But maybe. The point of the yeah. matter is you've got... You've got everyone. I mean, it's it's like going on uh, the Falcon at freaking Disneyland. Everybody's at a post doing their job. And I think that's really interesting. Uh, the other main main viewpoint we have is the capital ship perspective, primarily given to us by Akbar and his supports. Yes. We also have the fighter perspective with Wedge. Yes. Who um, flying and leading Rogue Squadron. Eventually, he and he and Lando are sort of going to be the spearhead that yes. finishes this thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the last one is we see a lot of viewpoints from uh, the Imperial Bridges, primarily um, uh, Piet on yes. the um, executor, uh, executor. Yes. We also see from the throne room, if you really want a macro perspective of flashing lights. Well, the thing that's cool about the throne room <laughs> is you get to see what I was mentioning earlier uh, in this whole thing. is This is all about what we saw before blown up to a grand scale. Yeah. And it's great because when you see it through the viewport window of the Emperor's Tower, you get to see how far away it is and how big it is. Yeah, yeah. Because when you're in the thick of it, one of the things they did really well throughout the whole battle is we're real tight. Yeah. There's a lot of motion control camera shots where you're just inches away from these models and moving at kinetic, frenetic speeds. And... You know, there's you, you see a still screen of this and just there's lasers everywhere and debris and ships and like it's busy as heck, which is so much more impressive than like the 20 odd ships that took down the Death Star one. Like we just see yeah. this just hornet's nest of conflict and battle. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because it's such a memorable space battle. Of course, when you look at it through only the lens of the OT. Yeah. But even when you look at it, I mean, as great as the battle over Coruscant is, and it's a larger battle, like it feels I think it's the only one that has a scale larger than this. And it is. But what's interesting about this is the addition of a super weapon. I mean, that's the unique thing about it. When we have Starkiller in Episode 7, and when we have the first Death Star, it's only a couple of squadrons. You know, I mean, in in Starkiller, it's one squadron. The Battle of Coruscant, I think the only thing the Battle of Coruscant added that showed, like, the technology had advanced was Mm -hmm. the three-dimensionality. Yes. The fact that you could feel the layer cake of battle happening. Whereas this, we still have a very, like, naval look at it where it's on a single plane. Yeah. There are these ships floating in the astral sea, and they're all sort of leveled out. 
Well, they do some stuff later to add they do. to that, but we'll talk about that in a minute. So after we get basically the, the fleet arriving, right, they realize they something all jump is in. wrong. Yeah, yep. they realize something is wrong. They realize the shields are still up, right? And this begins the battle. And while things are happening, fighters are attacking fighters. Uh, Lando, you hear Lando, you know, with his exposition of why aren't those capital ships moving to attack? Mm-hmm. Right. And we learn that it's an order from the Emperor to stop them from escaping, but keep them here, basically. He has a special surprise. Uh, hey, the Emperor has a special surprise for them. <laughs> I'm trying to think who gets that. Is that Piet or is that? I think oh, it's Piet. man. I don't know off the top of my hand. I didn't note it down. Um, well, and the thing about it is they get in there and, and it, it's it's a little game of chicken at the very beginning because it's not until Lando just kind of realizes, like, wait, what's going on? I think that shield's still up. And then he just kind of calls the whole fleet of like break. We, yeah, we we got to stop. So if those ships had run into the Death Star, they would just straight up blow up, right? And my suspicion is that was the original plan for the Emperor of like, oh, won't that be fun? Is just them coming in at you know just coming out of light speed at like top sublight speed, just smashing into a wall. Mm-hmm. That would have been um, well because I mean shields in Star Wars are generally designed to do two things. One is basic storytelling for any sci-fi universe, which is they stop micrometeors and all the other stuff that you know, moving at incredible speeds, you know, a nickel could carve through your ship if it was unprotected. So shields since Star Trek and all Mm -hmm. these other stories, it's all about, they protect you against things hitting your ship. Yeah. And then they protect against energy weapons and stuff. So the shield around, around the Death Star, anything that would hit it is of way too much mass to do anything except start crumpling against it. Yeah. With whatever hull integrity and shields they have to protect them from ramming. It is really crazy to think about how much the Emperor was able to plan this. Oh, yeah. I mean, it really is something. Because they realized pretty quickly it was a trap. It's I a mean, trap! The, <laughs> I'm glad you said it. Literally. Uh, the most the f- iconic meme from all of Star Wars, I guess. At the right? moment, yeah. I'm not much of a memer, but that's what I hear. That's what the internet seems to tell me. Um, I mean, Akbar's great, right? Akbar's yep. a great design. Uh, he makes a great Black Series figure, I can tell you that. And over time, uh, he's he's <laughs> as his character's been built up, he's he's great as the somewhat stuffy, but like classic, you know, admiral of the line. The mm-hmm. the classic military career military man. Yes, totally. And because he's been fighting since the Clone Wars. It's it's great to see that we have a character who people love, but really doesn't, you know, appear in a lot of original Star Wars and We've given him this great story over the years, and that's the benefit of the expanded universe. Agreed. Awesome. So we have a couple of fun things happen during this space battle that I want to talk about. So first up, we learn the battle station is operational. Mm-hmm. Uh-oh. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. we're in trouble here. So we see the Death Star start shooting down Rebel capital ships. At this, yeah, at, there's a certain point where they're just like still trying to figure out what the fleet's doing, and mm-hmm. then the Death Star shows that it's fully operational yeah. and fires the super laser in. I think it takes out the Liberty. I think is the capital that gets blasted. Okay, okay. And it's one of the 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 main fleet, the biggest battle cruisers, are the Mon Calamari cruisers. There's the like MC30 frigates and the MC60, which is the uh, home one, which is the. Yes the flagship. And I think yeah. the other one that's there is the independence, I think. Okay. And, um, just blasted out of the sky. That's like somewhere in the ballpark of, I think like one to 3000 people just blinked out, mm-hmm. just gone. 
And that basically. Hey man. <laughs> hey, man. Okay. Listen. For Yavin, all right? They blew up millions of people on that first Death Star. This is what those rebels have coming. Those rebel scum. <laughs> okay. Um, but just saying, like, again, we have an extinguishing of life that only Star Wars has the scale to play with. Yeah. Um, kind of crazy, right? And then you just see... Uh, I think does, it's, does Star Trek do that? I don't watch Star Trek. Do they kill lots of people on ships? Uh, sort of. ships? So whenever you see a, um, like a starship blow up it's a couple hundred people on those okay they blow up those all the time yeah but really where the body count in star trek goes is when you introduce the borg the border borg are genocidal they've wiped out entire planets worth of populations and assimilated and destroyed their way of life so use on vong it gets dark it's almost like the use on vong were like a copy of the borg right, except i want to make your breath with, blood except instead of like tech they did it with squid parts i don't okay, know okay okay um uh, we won't but, talk about but at this point today. Um, I think it's at this point is where Lando's like, uh, just go into the fleet, put some of their ships in our, in the midst of us so that hopefully they won't fire on us. Yeah, and then there's the great li- line of like, you want us to attack into the Death Star? It's like, we'll do better against that, them than the Death Star. <laughs> I love that. Cause it's like, yeah. it's a, it's a smart strategic move is like, well, Hey, look, battling the cavalry ship sucks, but at least we can maybe mingle with them and get this death laser yeah to stop hitting our ships because it's the kiss of death it hits us it, it can blow up a planet it sure as hell is going to rip through any shields we yep. have absolutely so we have a couple of moments here that i like coming up we have the a-wing crashing through the bridge of that star destroyer yep isn't that great well it's it's a wonderful moment because it's it's an impromptu kamikaze that at one time shows the dedication of the rebel troops. Like he's dead and he's like, I'm just going to angle my ship and do something. Yeah. Screw these guys. And it also shows that like, you could totally read that. Hey, a starship being thrown against the shields. Well, it would destroy the starship. So no one would try it. Yeah. But what happened if they don't mind it being destroyed? Oh, well then they could probably punch through the shield enough to blow up the environmental things on the bridge and kill us all in here. Oh, that's a design flaw. We should have worked on that. <laughs> well, it has something to do probably with the shields being down for the ability to use certain energy weapons, I would imagine. Like, you you know, I'm well, not a huge Star Wars ship I think guy. That, but... so, so the thing about it is shields are designed to deal with energy weapons. I don't yeah. think they're designed to deal with a starship. And I think a yeah. starship, that ship, as it's getting that fireball we see, is yeah. partially the A-wing exploding against right. the, the shield, which is right. shields in Star Wars generally are either bubbles like we saw in episode one or on the ships, they're generally considered to be form fitting Yeah, because it's often it's described that like, I think on tie fighters, for instance, their shields actually create an airfoil so they can fly in atmosphere since they don't have real wings or anything. Okay. So again, it's a very tight thing. So that a wings probably blowing up as its mass is being just shoved forward by those engines through that plastic steel yeah. window and breaking it enough that yeah. the vacuum of space and that fire just, sucks right into the yeah. the atmosphere and that destroys the command of the the star destroyer allowing that star destroyer would be completely and totally crippled yeah and is that the star destroyer that falls into the super star destroyer uh i believe it is because if memory serves me going, yeah it falls into yeah. that and then that causes the exeter to be pulled into the gravity of the death star 2 and it just like a shiv stabs it i gotta tell you when that super star destroyer when that goes down yeah and it hits that Death Star. 
that is like one of the coolest moments when you know what I mean, right? When that when it just crashes down and you see that oh yeah, like giant explosion. It, it's, yeah, the, yeah, you're yeah, stabbing yeah, yeah. the balloon with an executor knife. Like, yeah. I love it. Like, I love it. That is I, super Star Destroyers are to me. I think the Star Destroyer is my favorite ship design, mm-hmm. and the Super Star Destroyer. Well, I don't necessarily like the design better. Mm-hmm. It's just so fun. I just love how massive it is and how ridiculous it is when you think about it. And also, it's that's like so five to ten thousand people. Could oh, I think it's more below. than that. I, I, there's got to be it's a, a city number for it now. It's like ridiculous. The, the but it's just so. The fact that the Empire thinks they need ships that big is just such a perfect testament to why they oh. are the way that they are. And it's in so canon, fun. it's the Tarkin. It. In, in canon, it's the Tarkin. You know, yeah. directive. It's the idea of like they show their strength more than they they need to just stop from having to use yeah. it. Like it's peace through strength. Yeah. They will not foment insurrection. They will not let anyone and, rise up. And also, and I saw you. I'm, I'm glad you had the the restraint to show it. But I just want to say, you can't deal with mass. When mass hits something, it hurts it. Yeah. And that is the entire setup, like the A-Wing shunting through the shield and destroying that Star Destroyer yeah. is sort of the technological basis of why the Holdo maneuver might make sense. Oh, the Holdo maneuver, I think, makes perfect sense. I'm just saying, but if you're um, someone who fights that, it already kind of exists in the OT at a much yeah. smaller scale. Yeah. Man, okay. Uh, I think you're right. I agree completely. Uh, so, next up, we have the shield now has come down. Mm-hmm. Our troops on the ground have been successful. And Lando leads a desperate attempt into the belly of the Star Destroyer. Whoa, was my little mind blown when I saw this for the first time. Again, to the Death Star. You said Star Destroyer. But oh, I'm sorry. Did I? No, no, I knew what you meant. Got Star Destroyers on the brain. Yeah, so yes. basically all the fighters that have been weaving and bobbing through like the Negulon freighters and the Star Destroyers yes. and, and all this battle with... Uh, the introduction of the tie interceptors and stuff flying through chasing them and yes. all this wicked, you know, again, bees buzzing around all gets funneled as Lando and wedge primarily lead a group right into the superstructure, which was the original plan when they arrived here. Yeah. And then you just start going through these multiplane cam sh- camera shots of just all this infrastructure. of, <laughs> And, and you're right. It's fantastic. So cool. Like, what a great idea. Like, just mm-hmm. what a fantastic idea to have to fly ships through a Death Star. Like, we thought the trench run couldn't be outdone. And this is such a great idea. And it's so much more fun with the Death Star being incomplete. Oh, yeah. I mean, it wouldn't be possible without that. But it, it's just. Oh, this is all duct work. And yeah. half of this you can fly through in a couple months when the repairs are done. Like, yeah. you get the feeling of this is flying through, like, the scaffolding uh-huh. of a skyscraper being and raised. This is the Emperor's hubris. This yep. is his failure. This is his moment. Is he was not ready. The, if the battle station, just like how if they had not built the first Death Star, the rebellion never would have risen up and had that symbol of hope of we can do this. We can bring down this government. Yeah. If it hadn't been for the first Death Star escalating things, yeah. this rebellion would never have been what it has been, at least not as quickly. Right. And they wouldn't have had all this input from all these other factions wanting to help them. Well, he just keeps... like here, if he had waited yeah. for the thing to be finished and then executed the plan, man. Because it's it's all about strength. He's like, when they see the fleet, they'll give up. When they hit the shield, they'll give up. When I shoot them with the Death Star, they'll give up. And the answer is, they don't. Because hope is the cure for fear. Yeah. And they're chocked full of it. And yeah. it's what carries them through to fighting impossible odds and saying, we can do it, even though we shouldn't be able to do it. Because 
we're on the side of right. We have to believe in this. Yeah. And the emperor can't, he doesn't just underestimate it. He can't appreciate its value at all. You're right. You're absolutely right, I think. And so we keep going through these multiplanar yeah. <laughs> shots, which until I saw them on the big screen, I don't think I appreciated just how three-dimensional they mm-hmm. are. Like, you really get a sense of space, especially when you get, it, get like, down in there and they're like, uh, hey, I got to pull out. I got to see if I can take some of them with me. And they, like, split off. And you have yeah. that, like, kind of, like, whiplash as you whip down one <laughs> corridor. Yeah. like, And you realize, oh, gosh, this is such a three-dimensional tunnel. Uh-huh. This is a place. Yeah. It, it watching it on VHS, you know, hundreds of times as mm-hmm. a child, it always reminded me the most of being on Star Tours at Disney World mm. and just that feeling of moving with the ship up and down. And it's so tight. It's so close. And that, to me, emulated that experience at home so much of mm-hmm. sitting in front of the TV that I had, um, you know, kind of like way too close to it. And yeah. Just seeing these movements go up and down. And it was so... For me, it was the first time I'd ever seen anything like it. Mm-hmm. And it was just so mind-blowing. And still, I love it to this day. Uh, so, we get to this core. This, you know, this core that is going to... Yeah, it's uh, primary. It's So, the power plant. Yeah. So, in, in a cavernous room inside the very center is basically these two giant... I guess they're... Um, capacitors Mm -hmm. that are exchanging information from the two main reactors that power the death star. And so there's this big shock of energy in the middle that's being regulated by this little control tower and that's all shielded and it's protected. And wedges job is he flies up, blows up the control tower to stop the regulation, which drops some of the shields around the reactor. They shoot like twice, (laughs) like into that, which causes it to go unstable and causes both reactors to shunt the energy back the way it was coming, blowing up both those things, causing a chain reaction that blows the place to hell. Yeah. Because you essentially have this extremely overpowered reactor that requires it to run the energy the right direction. And when it goes back, it just rips itself apart. Yeah. Yeah. And then we see all that fun tunnel stuff in reverse. <laughs> Trying to outrun the blast. Barely. <laughs> yes. Uh, as they're breaking free, you see the flames coming out behind the Falcon. Edging tri- in towards the corners of the screen. Yep. yep. Coming around the viewport. And uh, we have the triumphant music, the triumphant cheers. And we see that baby blow. And then as the fire goes, we see the Falcon come right out of it Yeah, because it actually got consumed. And then there's this great moment of stillness after it blows because we basically see that the Falcon's gotten out and just how much further away the fleet is, mm-hmm. um, which at this point we get the impression that it's not so much they may have, you know, destroyed the Imperial fleet, but the Imperial fleet is just so like in scrambles going like, uh, the capital ship where we're going to all of our orders was destroyed. Well, I guess we'll take orders direct from the Death Star. That blew up too. It was? <laughs> well, there's that great moment in Battlefront 2 in the story yeah. where, uh, you know, Inferno Squad is on the ground. Yeah. And they see Battlefront 2, the game, not the book, by the way. Uh, the Inferno... And Battlefront 2, the EA one, not the other Battlefront 2. Oh, that came sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good point. Good call. Oh, it's out. super confusing. Good I get save, Matt. Good save. Good save. If anybody wants to go play this, it's very inexpensive to find right now. That's true. But Battlefront 2, the game, uh, the second time, uh, has this great moment. It's this little cutscene. It's like the second or third mission. This is how the story kind of starts of this just this group of Imperial pilots on the ground trying to regroup to get back up and, you know, fight the battle, keep going. 
and they just see the Death Star blow up and they just kind of all pause like this can't be real. Like, this can't be happening. Especially because that group we see is on the inside. They know this was a trap. Right, right, right. Exactly. And so they are also one of the few groups of people that might know, I think the Emperor was up there. Yeah. Like, nah. Yeah. Uh, So it's just a really great moment to really think about. Everything kind of has to click for this to happen because this is the finale. I mean, you know, we're not talking about it necessarily in that order, but the Death Star blowing up is the end of this moment. Uh, And they are the final piece of the plan, right? Uh, It is satisfying. Oh, yeah. I think that's the way to put it. I think that's the right word. Oh, the John Williams music score swells, become this triumphant, like, you know, celebrational mm-hmm. theme of just dun 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 dun, dun. like very like yeah. brassy yeah. and heroic of like, we did it. Yeah. And you have Nine Nub kind of just like, oh, yeah. You know, just kind of like that nice little happy. Head and Landis is like, and, hell, yeah, we did it. <laughs> yeah. Everybody's just like, sh- like struck, like they can't believe that that just worked. <laughs> like right. I mean that's what it is right well they literally pulled in this space battle yeah. they are dead to rights defeated and somehow still pull victory out of it yeah against all the odds yeah it's great it's it, fan freaking tastic what a great world Star Wars and again is, huh? such a kinetic phonetic wild thing just so much stuff happening I yeah love it. I love it all right, Mac, I, I'm ready to talk about the next part. Let's get down a little bit smaller scale and look at the emotional battle of the Battle of Endor. Stands a tower that raises up out of the superstructure of the Death Star, ending in four points as an observation platform. But not any observation platform, the throne room of the Emperor himself, his personal viewports out to his domain. And in there, Darth Vader brings before his Emperor, his master of the Sith, his only son, Luke, to be turned or to die. Soon I'll be dead, and you with me. That's really dark. And a baller line. (laughs) I mean, he is all in black, though, so we know he's serious. Just like he was at the beginning of the movie. Luke has such an edge from the word go in this movie. But you know what I love about it? Is you see it falter. Like, when he's on Dagobah talking to Yoda. He's still not... It's a persona. It's what he believes a Jedi is meant to be. Yeah. And he, it does the, feel the, a little the farm forced, boys, which is fun. The farm boy's still in there. Like yeah. when he's doubting himself mm-hmm. on Dagobah. Another place is like the, the well, uh, you know, I got the shuttle, but I haven't put together my command crew. I'll be in. Luke, you showed up to the meeting like really late, but we're happy to see you. <laughs> and you're like, it'll be like old times. And then when they're on the shuttle Tadirium, 
They're like, oh, it's old times. And then he like goes like real dark. He's like, it was a mistake for me to come here. <laughs> like it's yeah. it's great because he's he's trying it. It's every kid you knew in college trying desperately to adult, but trying so hard that you're really not coming off as one. Yeah, it. you're right. That's exactly what it is. Right. Trying to live up to what you believe you're meant to be. And that's what Luke is doing here. It's right. Confronting his destiny. <laughs> Jedi Knight. Gosh, you leave for a little bit. Everyone gets delusions of grandeur. <laughs> And it is. He's yeah. he's presenting himself as a knight now, and he yeah. still doesn't know exactly what that is. Right. Well, Yoda even tells him he's not. You got to kill Vader first, then you right? get to be a Jedi Knight. Those trials really have. I mean, that's got some heavy consequences. Well, well no, what you don't understand is the Pad One Brain's easy mode. If you grew out a Pad One Braid for fifteen years, they cut like one of the trials out because uh, you showed the trial of commitment or something. Okay. Because okay. you had to hand braid that like every day. <laughs> so we get this scene and it basically starts with Palpatine saying, welcome, young Skywalker. I'm not. You know, I can't You're do okay. voices. You try it. What? Welcome, young Skywalker. That's definitely better than I can do. Uh, so, not as good as Sam Whitmer, though. No. That guy's awesome. So uh, and I love that. And Palpatine has that great moment. of too, just like, you don't need those cuffs anymore. And just they fall off Luke's wrist. He's yes. like, I got this. So confident. <laughs> You're so deep in it, you don't even know. Yeah. <laughs> so basically, to set the scene here, right, we have this great throne room set. Yes. Where we have this amazing window with Palpatine's spinny chair in front of it, his throne. And it's just this great viewpoint of the battle. It's this really awesome room that's really dark and sinister. Um, it, it's really a lot of fun. And we also see some royal guards here, don't we? We, yeah, well, we see the Crimson Guards at the elevators, or that great elevator with the red lights that light uh -huh. up to let you know the elevators come. And you see these, like, impossibly tall guys all decked out in this just red flowing capes with these molded helmets that are, like, in this constant sort of just, like, um, I guess mausoleum pose. They're just yeah. these really long, like, hooded kind of molded plastic with this small slit for eyes. Yeah. And they're holding their force pikes, these sentry weapons that make them very much feel like kind of the royal guards from, like, the British Empire with the mm -hmm. gun mm -hmm. always up against their shoulder. Mm -hmm. um, and they're flanking anywhere the the emperor needs protected and at other points in this sequence we've seen his entourage these advisors and viziers that kind of lurk in the shadows and we also see like these command posts these sort of things that come up and blossom out into display panels that also extend down into like hookups and networks which is fun because the thing that they do really well which is always an important thing about a fight scene which we eventually get here yeah is they do a really good job of at least this one quarter of this observation deck giving you the parameters of what it is setting the stage. So, you know, the space so that when Luke's underneath of it later in the sequence and at different points, we keep changing camera angles to be dramatic. You never lose a sense of where you're standing, which is really impressive and cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it is. It, you're right. Impressive is the way to put it. Because not only is it something we really haven't seen before, mm -hmm. but it feels like a finale. It mm -hmm. feels like something that this is the culmination of the entire journey Luke has been on. Yep. It's while we it ends up being, you know, overcoming his father and overcoming the call to the dark side, that ends up being the final part of his journey. It really feels like he's here now. 
He is in the place he needs to be to end all of this. And the setting feels right. The setting feels appropriate. And there's a gloom and a quiet and an isolation to it because it's not the bright forest of Endor where his friends are fighting down there. It's not that through the viewport distant space battle happening over there. There's hardly anyone, even when this is fully populated before any guards and stuff are dismissed, like is not many people. It's not really well lit. And it really is just basically these three men occupying all the space. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Because the weight of what they're doing is so important. Mm-hmm. It can only focus on them. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So we have a couple of really cool lines here uh, from Palpatine. You know, in time, you will call me master. Mm-hmm. I love that line because he's just so confident. He's just so well, confident. Because, Ross, this. at this point. All things have gone as I have foreseen. Yeah. He's, he's, everything's been clicking along according to this big, broad plan he has, and he has no reason to doubt himself. He does the same, that same great, really sinister, dripping inflection when he says, you will find it is you who's mistaken about a great many things. Remember mm-hmm. that? That's one of my favorite lines. That's one of my favorite. About a great many things. Yeah, yeah he's, just... he's he's got. Okay, so uh, Ian McDermott um, playing this role soaks up the room by saying, "Like this guy is the evil emperor of the galaxy." Yeah, there is no reason to play him with any sense of realism. He's gonna know. just be the most cackling evil sob, and he just has sheer joy, in my opinion. Just going full Shakespearean and having these overly dramatic presentations of everything he says. It's tripping. It's this moist, syrupy, like spitting almost Mm -hmm. on some of these lines. He's enunciating and clicking his teeth and tongue every time he talks. He's just soaking up this evil presence and projecting it out. And it's it's over the top. It's completely <laughs> over the top, but in a way that feels appropriate to how subdued Luke is and how literally Vader can't emote yeah. in any physical yeah. way. Absolutely. Um, yes, I agree completely. Yeah, yeah. So next up, we've got uh, that line we mentioned earlier, soon I'll be dead and you along with me that Luke says, mm-hmm. which is such a... It's Luke showing his own confidence, right? It's their kind of mental battle, the battle of their wills of like, before we start with the lightsabers, I'm going to let you know I have this. And while I'm sure Luke is much less confident internally, he is letting them know I have everything I need to make this happen. Yep. Right. And whether the Empire believes him or he just believes he's still holding the better hand is open to interpretation. But Mm -hmm. I love it. Uh, and then the emperor, the emperor goes, your overconfidence is your weakness. Or I'm sorry, Luke says that to the emperor. Yeah, and then another great line, the one I want to call it the emperor says is, your faith in your friends is yours. Because that's not it, right? That's not. But the well, emperor actually, believes it is. The whole thing about it is, but they are really defining the terms of why they're so confident in their position. Luke has an unbreakable faith in his friends and an endless bottomless hope that yeah. right will win. And I don't. If I die right here, it doesn't matter. They didn't need me because they were going to win anyway. They were always going to beat you. They had the plan, yes. And and, and the Emperor is just like, oh, kid, I. <laughs> this has been like a year. We've been playing this since like Hoth. 
I've known this day was going to come. Yeah. Why do you think I came here? Yeah. So I can personally watch you fail before me. <laughs> I thought Veers could handle it, but no. So here I am. Veers handled everything perfectly fine, mind you. Veers did nothing wrong. Uh, uh, he did. He did a great job attacking that basically defenseless base. The shield will be down in moments. You may start your landing. <laughs> and this is where we have that line from the Emperor again. Everything that has transpired has done so according to my design. Mm-hmm. And just the way the Emperor talks, I mean, you know how George Lucas writes dialogue. And I mean, he didn't write this one directly, but it's the yeah. themes carried over from the first movie. Right. So the yeah. way the characters speak and, and the he wasn't totally unconnected from the. No, no, not at all. I mean, I'm not saying you know, you know what I'm saying, right? Yeah, it's this is Kazan's The words. universe he created is carrying over here to this. Just like you said, the way it's just so cartoony in a way. Right. It's just so over the it, top. It's and I embracing love it. a black hat. You're not meant to in this movie at any level go like, I wonder what happened to the emperor. What hurt him to make him yeah. evil? Like, no, he's just the embodiment yeah. of evil. You don't yeah. need he's a Satan character. You don't need him to have an yes. explanation for yes. why he's this yes. over the top cruel. And one of the things that I really like about the prequels, I'm not saying I don't want that story in canon again someday about how the emperor got to where he is, but I want to see that he was always evil. He just it naturally is evil. I, I, well, I like think it's just one of those things that he was baptized into it. Yeah. His, his ambition was easily turned to eat to the dark side. Yeah. And he was always overly ambitious yeah. and overconfident and all these negative traits. Mm-hmm. You're right. You're right. Um, I mean, at least as far as we know, we'll see if we get more stories. At least as far as so filmed. On. Yes. So we have then the moment where the Emperor reveals to Luke that, oh, actually, I got you. This is a trap. You're still a little kid. I got this. And no scenery. Your friends are in trouble. Other than maybe the opera scene, no scenery is chewed nearly as much in the entire franchise as right here. Yes, absolutely. So this is where, uh, you know, the Emperor has a couple more lines, but this is where Luke really starts to lose. He's like, oh, no, have I made a mistake? Have Have I led my friends to their death? Is the Emperor right? Am I really not all that I think I am? You know, and the Emperor is basically narrating what Luke is feeling here. You know, the hate is swelling in you now. Uh, you know, I can feel your anger. All of that happening as Luke is contemplating, should I take my lightsaber? Should I try and fight? Is this the right path? Like the Emperor thinks he's won. The Emperor thinks this is over. He sprung his trap. There were no other surprises. Vader can handle this Luke kid, no problem. So what am, what is there to worry well, about? So, you know, it's fun. Okay, so, yeah, he's he's basically fueling Luke with hate by going, yeah. you know, like, oh, yeah, the, the station's fully operational. I'm going to go blow up a capital ship with it to remind them that it's fully operational. On the dark side of the, of the planet, I have all of the fleet with me. You're going to get decimated. Oh, by the way, your friends on that shield generator, I wonder where they found out about that. Oh, I told them. I told them about the shield generator. And you know what I did? I put a battalion of my best troops handpicked to murder your friends down there. How's that making you feel? You angry? You mad? You know, there's a solution to that. Giving in to hate. Yeah. And that's when he starts talking about strike me down. Take your weapon. You want this. Take it. And he goes, I am defenseless. You know, that that Palpatine act oh, yeah. love. There's there's yeah, there's just again a melodrama to him that's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. So this is where Luke has had enough, and he reaches out with the force, grabs his lightsaber, goes to strike, and Vader with is already his reflexes, there. yeah. Their lightsabers cross. And this is my favorite Emperor moment. 
is when you see the blades cross in front of them, you have the red and the green, which to me will always look better than blue and red classic. <laughs> no, no. Ross is just like, oh my gosh, the emperor might be triumphant and he's going to cackle here in ooh, Christmas. Yes. Well, you're right. But we have those lightsabers cross and you see the emperor just slowly smile, like just the corners pull up a little bit because he's like, ha, another checkbox, another mark of my plan done. Got him to start fighting. That's how you get hateful. Mm -hmm. I love that moment. That whole I mean, this whole. Well, well, you know, you know we I talked about, all, but... er, you know, the fact of like, oh, the, the, the fleet's holding back. They have something special, you know, special. I, yeah. I wonder if here, I wonder if the Emperor's plan is that Luke and Anakin are going to fight. One of them is going to be triumphant. Whether it's, hey, I've removed all obstacles from Anakin. I have the chosen one, lock, stock, and barrel. He'll be back to fighting for him, not being melancholy and mopey about, oh, I had a son. Or I'll have a fresh new apprentice who I can start training in the dark side. And I wonder if he thinks this is going to go, which, again, going backwards, mm -hmm. thinking about this backwards, if this is going to be like his office back on Coruscant. Hey, it's Mace Windu. You know, you need to help me. You need to help me. Uh, Windu, you gotta stop. Oh, cool. You distracted him, kid. I murdered him now. Now you're a Dark Lord. Do you realize that? You're my Dark lo Lord. I guess I don't have a choice. Yep, totally don't have a choice. You're my, uh, you're my apprentice now. Now, what can I do to deal with this horrible burden? I know. Why don't you go slaughter some kids and everyone you've ever met in your life? That would be great for me. You know what? Go to that task. I wonder if the Emperor is like, yeah, as soon as this all goes down, then we're gonna decimate your fleet. And you will lead the charge for me, my new apprentice. That you're going to go oh. slaughter all of your friends for me in my name once I pull you down. You think? He, what do you think he would have done? Like send Luke to the forest moon? Send Luke out in a, in a TIE fighter? Well, yeah, because maybe that explains why they're being captured at Endor instead of being summarily executed. Uh. Maybe that's why they're trying to blockade the fleet in, not destroy them. Okay. Because the Emperor I has every every before. ability to kill them, right? And I think growing up, I always took it as like, well, yeah, that's what Gavhat guys do. When they have you with, you know, their hands around your neck, they go, but you know what? Let me put you in an overly elaborate death trap. You'll easily escape. And I don't even have to watch it. Mm -hmm. Like, that's just sort of the Saturday morning matinee mm -hmm. conceit. Yeah. But I wonder if, like, looking at it through this prism now in 2019 i wonder if that's almost more of how i want to see it now is the idea of the the emperor's plan is to corrupt luke and just like operation nightfall mm -hmm. where anakin goes and kills everyone in the temple yeah. he's going to have luke personally slaughter his friends as a show of commitment to this new path it's break him and yeah. and rebuild him the way he did with anakin it's a really interesting take i think uh, i mean not that this was the story being told, but I think I a know. lot of people would have been upset in 1983 uh, if that had been the case. I could, I don't think blowing because the the purpose of the fleet, yeah, being blockaded in is so they could be blown up in front of Luke. I do feel that, but I don't. Well, the think... betrayal is definitely to fuel Luke's yeah. hatred to yeah. to get him to the point that we're talking about right now, where right. the Emperor is like, "Oh yes, you broke. Now you're just going. Now you're going down the dark path. It's just a matter yeah. of time." Yeah, I've seen this before. I know how it works out for me. Mm -hmm. That's what the Emperor it works out thinking. well, very well. Yeah, exactly. Just don't burn yourself alive, and you'll be much better off than he was. The less robot limbs you already got, one. Yeah. I really don't need another yeah. three. Those were expensive yeah. <laughs> at the time. And we have all the moments here about you know he's fighting Vader at first. You know that let the hate flow through you and all that, all that stuff happening. 
Uh, and, and then it's... Luke is talking back, you know, because Luke eventually gets to a point where he's starting to hide. You know, I will not fight you. I don't. I, well, because Luke not has the that. Path I'm going to take. Luke has that flash of anger, and he's just fighting Vader because he's like, Dad, let me kill this man so we can work through our problems. Yeah. Why are you? Why are you protecting him? <laughs> yeah. And then Luke's like, Oh, right, because you've been corrupted and evil. <laughs> yeah. And then he runs away because he's like, No, the whole goal here was to not fight. The whole goal was. You know, no passion, tranquility. You know, it's trying to escape yeah. from all this yeah. and let things play out as they naturally should. Yeah. And then we have one of my favorite moments where Luke is hiding and Vader is kind of looking around the pillars, monologuing about how, oh, Obi-Wan was wise to hide your sister from me. Now his failure is complete, which is one of my favorite mm. Vader lines That's when he good. says that. He, he's basically just taunting him. And eventually when Vader's like, well, if this doesn't work with you, I know who I'm going after. I'm going after Leia. And he comes out with a warrior's yell and just starts hacking away. And one moment of acting. Yeah. I love James Earl Jones soaking up of the word sister. Like, yeah, yeah. it's totally outside of what Vader's did up to this point, but it's so... Um, it's so baiting. It, he's he's hanging on the word because he knows it's gonna tick Luke off, and it works totally. It <laughs> absolutely works. So we get this great moment of Luke just overpowering Vader and Hacking showing for the first time that by I mean he is tapping into the dark side here, right? Oh yeah. I mean I think one hundred percent he's tapping into the dark side, and. He's showing that, yeah, it can be used for power. And as he's knocking Vader down and basically, um, you know, hack it away, he eventually takes off his right hand the <laughs> same way Luke lost his hand a movie ago. Yep. And this is the moment where, you know, Luke hears the Emperor behind him. He's kind of cackling. <laughs> good, good, good. Yes. Yeah. And Luke looks down. He hears his father, you know, sort of wheezing. He sees the smoke and the circuitry coming out of his wrist hole. And at this point, Luke looks down at his gloved hand, realizes the mistake he's made, mm -hmm. realizing that he accepted this call to the dark side momentarily. And while he did use the dark side to power himself through this fight, he realizes that is not the way to win. And it's so this is what when we go to film school, we talk about like visual storytelling. No one explains to you that hand is like his hand. They both have the same hand. Do you get it? Like, we don't have to explain that. It's just shown Hamill staring down at his hand and just kind of looking at this gloved hand, which we recall from earlier because they did a good job of earlier in the movie showing it again. Like the yeah. fact he has a mechanical hand and we're reminded mm -hmm. of that. Like him just coming to that realization of like, he's so mad at his father. Cause like you're, you're not going to corrupt my sister. I can't believe you. I'm trying to save your soul. And yet you are still resisting me. Like maybe you are the evil man that everyone says you are. Maybe there isn't anything redemptive. And he cuts him, cuts him. He's like, maybe you are just the most evil person and cuts off the hand and goes, you were me. This is this moment I'm dealing with right now is exactly how you became you. You lost your hand, you know, is a metaphor of like you started losing yourself and I've already started that process. I will not go down that any more yeah. than I already have. Yeah. So great because everything's unsaid. It's just shown and you as the audience can just just soak in all that information, mm -hmm. all that ash energy and passion. It's great. Yeah. 
It is. It is because it's this quick little moment. But in this moment, you know the choice Luke has made. And he tosses his lightsaber away and says, I'll never turn to the dark side. For an instant, he saw two pathways to the future. And he saw that he could become Vader. But it passed like a fleeting shadow. Yes, it does. Uh, And it's so great to see that. Oh, never mind. Never mind. I'm not going to go off on a Last Jedi tangent. Well, but Um, the point is that scene in Last Jedi is set up here in the sense of Luke knows what it's like to feel the dark side course through him and mm-hmm. for an instant lose himself because he does yeah. in this throne role. He 100% does. And he comes to his senses yeah. and he lets it go. And I yeah. think that's what we're supposed to see echoed in Last Jedi is the well, idea we... is that he is, for a moment, he's like, I could just kill this kid and it'll all be done. He won't be able to perform that evil. And then he creates what he was trying yeah. to stop. Yeah. And it's interesting, too, when you look at when you're comparing both scenes, since you brought it up, I feel okay going off on this tangent, is that... Yeah. When you have this moment in Return of the Jedi, he embraces the dark side for a good 30, 45 seconds. Yep. You know, he's hacking away. He's harnessing it. He's oh using it. He's just, he's hitting Darth Vader with his lightsaber, not like a fencer, but like a guy with a baseball bat. Yeah, yes. Absolutely. Just raw, overpowered strength, mm-hmm. right? And by the time he's this master that we meet, you know, an indeterminate amount of time before The Force Awakens. Yeah. Um, you know, about six years or less, based on what we know right now. Yeah. You know, we see this moment where the same thing's happening, but now he's gotten so much more control. Yes, he ignites his lightsaber, but he doesn't embrace it. He immediately, you know, just like he says, like you said, you know, a fleeting shadow, a passing second. It only lasts an instant, but tapping into the dark side has its consequences. The same way tapping into the dark side defeat to defeat his father ultimately leads to his death yeah right and it's the same thing here when you tap into the dark side and this is why there are not these gray jedi or whatever you want to call them right when you tap into the dark side it has negative consequences and that's what we see here in jedi we see it again in the last jedi it's the classic black magic from fantasy it's like once you do something dark it draws all the agents of darkness to you like when frodo puts on the ring in lord of the rings all the people know that when Harry Potter's scar hurts. It's because when evil is present, it sends out a beacon. And that's kind of what's happening. You know, that's probably why Ben wakes up and goes after his master is because the dark side is like brought and invited into this space. And just like this, when Luke is hacking at it before he stops himself, the emperor for the first time gets up out of his chair and starts walking into the scene because he's like, oh, this is great. I feel great. You the vibe you were giving off. It's good. I can work with this. I can work with this. <laughs> oh, your got, daddy used to be this way, but yeah. it's, it's been a while. You've got three of your limbs. That's three more than he's got. Awesome. Now kill him. <laughs> <laughs> and when he refuses, then you must die. And, and, there's, the... and there's such a great little just melancholy of like, oh, well, that's disappointing. Oh, I thought today was going to go different. Hmm. Oh, well. <laughs> And the lightning. And it's so unexpected because we've never seen it before. Nope. This incredible moment. I would really love to talk to someone about what who that saw the prequels first and already knew the lightning was coming. Like, what's it like when Count Dooku is the first person you see use force lightning? And well, I not think the, the big thing about it is I think that'll be a surprise no matter when it happens. But I think it's still surprising here because it is the Emperor just goes to this like, oh, Dot like yeah. that well of him becoming an active participant in this battle and actually throwing his mm-hmm. physical power mm-hmm. around is still shocking, regardless mm-hmm. if you 
if that power is a surprise or not. Absolutely. Absolutely can't argue that at all. Uh, so we have this moment where Luke is writhing around on the ground in pain, you know, not able to stand it. It's just uh, taking everything he can to yell out, Father, help me. And as Vader stands up behind the Emperor, he's looking down at his son, looking over at his master, looking down at his son, looking at his master. And it's just sort of clicking in his head that, no, no, if my son believes in me this much, I he must see something I can't. The choice I made is a choice I didn't have to make. My son just had the same one and didn't go through with it. Yeah. There's another way I didn't see when I was his age, and I can see it now. Yeah, yeah it's interesting because that moment where Anakin sh- takes off Mace's hand and falls to his knees, and he's not really even looking at what's going on fully. He's just kind of like staring kind of down and just like, what have I done? Mm-hmm. And Luke has that same moment. Now, yeah, it's a little bit different. The you posing's know, different, but, but it's the, the same emotional beat. The same thing, yes. Yeah. The consequences are the same, but one character chooses to do something different with it. Yep. And it really is great. And then, of course, like you said, we get the lightning. So we see Luke being tortured, and Vader picks up the Emperor, and with a shout of no, depending on which version you're watching, tosses the Emperor down the shaft. Gives him a boot. Yep. And... and- it's an incredibly powerful moment. You know, you see the Emperor going down, all the power still radiating around him. You see a flash of light, and then you see these sort of pulses of energy come back up the reactor. You get a shot of Vader where all of this is kind of running through him. The lightning is still flashing his skull. And now you can see he's becoming temporarily transparent. And mm-hmm. uh, this moment where Vader's just sort of leaning over on his uh, on his you know partial arm just kind of like wow that worked i did oh, it what a rush yeah i feel, I feel gnarly <laughs> and then and luke I, luke has this great moment of he's like rolling over and there's still just like a little bit of flex of like electricity running yeah. out of him as he's like i'm not being shot anymore that's good and he's like what's happening oh oh way to way to go dad i, <laughs> I didn't yeah i'm not gonna lie i'm like super happy but like i really didn't actually expect that to happen yeah and how did you lift him up with one arm? You must be like stupid strong. Yeah. Because <laughs> he doesn't have two hands and somehow still picks him up. It's him. He uses his nub. Well, if we've proven anything, Vader has quite the grip. <laughs> he sure does. I mean, he's aided by the the force. Yeah. So after this moment, we get Luke, Luke trying to drag the uh, character now known, I would say again, as Anakin Skywalker. Yep. Back to the shuttle to get him off the Death Star before it inevitably blows. And they're at the bottom of the landing ramp. Luke is just like, Man, if I can just get him a little farther, can make this happen. And one nice thing also, just again, reflecting back, the Battle of Endor has finally started encroaching on the space. Yes. You see techs and stormtroopers and stuff running around as like things are starting to fall and break. Obviously, the executors hit. That's done massive damage to the station. Like pandemonium. You can feel the rebels are winning and their victory is starting to come into this quiet isolated space the battle's not over there anymore it's happening right now luke is now part of the battle of endor yeah it it's interesting because the emperor is taken out Mm -hmm. like early on when you compare it to what's happening on the forest moon and what is happening out in space you know it's kind of interesting it so this whole thing the whole battle ends at two hours and three minutes okay but 
Uh, Luke strikes down Vader at an hour 53. So there's 10 minutes of time before Between. we basically get to kind of this ending here where Luke is basically, um, you know, standing on the, well, laying on the ramp with Vader and they're having this conversation about, you know, it's over for me, basically take off my helmet. I want to look on you with my own eyes. Mm-hmm. Right. And we have this great moment where the helmet comes off and we see not this terrifying monster, but just this old weak man broken hurt man who has been through a lifetime of pain Mm -hmm. and is finally getting that chance to connect with why he ended up here which was his family right if it hadn't been for his family he never would have gone to the dark side he never would have fallen and he's finally getting what he always wanted which was a safe family yep right his initial motivation and here he has he has two children who made it through and you see the idea that he is saved through his children in the sense that, like, because Luke didn't have to make that choice. It's like the summation of everything I think parents want from their kids, is which is, I want you to do better than I did. Yeah. And you already have. And that's yeah. and that's the whole whole finale yeah. line is is, you know, I have to save you. You already have. Yeah. And it's <sighs> so powerful. Yeah. It really is. It really is. You know, tell your sister you were right. There was still you good. Were right. You were right. And it's it's haunting. And you, you, it's kind of cool because in a lot of ways, Anakin's already a ghost at that point. Yeah. Because he's already just this shadow mm-hmm. of a man. And we've deconstructed Darth Vader into this broken-hearted man. Yeah, absolutely. And then Luke drags him a little bit more up the ramp, enough to close it. And they get the heck out of there as <laughs> literally the hangar bay is falling apart moments before the reactor blows. Yeah. And that sigh of relief from Luke as the battle over Endor comes to a close. And we see basically the entire star star uh, base pop in an explosion even more impressive than it was in 77 <laughs> as it just blows up in a fireball. Mm-hmm. And then we confusingly see it. Uh, like 30 seconds later again yeah because we see it from endor's perspective through the atmosphere which is a cool shot yeah um it's oh, it's it. amazing and and now the load-bearing boss of the entire uh empire is dead and we can ride off to the mm-hmm. sunset because mm-hmm. the battle of endor is the mm-hmm. well now the beginning of the end yeah. but in uh 83 the end well, of the galactic the, civil war yeah it is it is the end of the civil war it's it's uh it's the end of that war there's another war to come mm. yeah yeah 30 years of peace i think you can say that's the end of that well what war. i mean well, uh, well technically 29. well i'm just saying now in current canon the galactic civil war ends about a year later over the battle yeah. of jakku yeah and that's what i mean is like but that's fine we knew the second they made a sequel whether that's yeah. True Superburga, and like you're reading the novels or whatever, yeah. the Star Wars don't end. Yeah, um, they they only get to end in that movie. Yeah, and then of course well, we'll keep going with them. the story arcs of those characters end. Yes, you know the the same thing we're talking about here in every movie. It's it's about how do these events of this greater galaxy affect these characters. It's not totally. everything about the galaxy in a whole is wrapped up. It's these characters on the path they were set on, the arc they were set on is finished that doesn't mean the characters are done growing or changing no 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 doesn't mean they won't be different when you revisit them in 30 years but this story that we set out on this journey they set out on two and a half years ago you're right is finished 
and and I think the best way to say it in the old old days is like, and everything that happens after this is a tale for another time. <laughs> And they lived happily ever after. We bring another Star Wars all in to a close as we wrap up our close in-depth look at the mm-hmm. Battle of Endor. Um, they don't live happily ever after. But for a time, yeah, for 30-ish right? years. For a time, there was balance. There was balance. Uh, it was nice. It was so pleasant. This was a lot of fun. Oh, this yeah. This is the first time we've ever done an episode like this. So if you like it, let us know. If you don't like it, let us know. No, yeah, we, no we, hard feelings either way. We took a lot of like our scene uh, our scene readings, but then we just kind of clumped them together and just looked mm-hmm. at the three mm-hmm. facets of the uh, yeah. of Endor. And that was fun. Especially because we have the conclusion to another trilogy coming up. Absolutely. You know, so I think it's going to be interesting to compare and contrast. Absolutely. So we were talking while we were going through our first topic about the ground battle. Oh, about uh, uh-huh. Commander Rex. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot we need to come back to that. Right. Did you look so it up? So I did pull up the original source. Well, a couple of sources, and I ended up just... Uh, I think the best culmination of all these sources is the Wikipedia, Wikipedia. article entry of it. So I'm going to just read this to you, Mac. Okay. okay. So Dave Filoni speculated that Rex might be one of the members of the Endor Strike team. Uh, he's, he's quoted as saying, I really do think that Rex is that guy on Endor. I really do. Why else is there a bearded old guy? Why? It makes no sense. If you don't... (laughs) So, uh, okay. Wow. Uh, I'm getting like... Dave Filoni being a little ageist there. Just a little ageist. Now, in Legends, that character was identified as Nick Sant. Okay. Okay. Uh, Obviously, Legends no longer canon. Now, in Rebels, uh, the Rebels series finale Mm -hmm. confirmed that Rex did fight in the Battle of Endor. Okay. Though it did not confirm whether he is that character. That guy with the beard. Yes. Now we have another bit from Filoni here. Six months after the episode's airing, Filoni revealed in an interview with IGN he ultimately chose to not canonize the theory because he felt that laying down an already established character prior to his coming to Star Wars wasn't correct. Adding that Rex could have been present at Endor and not be that same character, even though some fans could choose to believe that Rex and Sant are the same individual while others choose not to do so. That's not how Star Wars works. No, um, that's I mean, cute, that's fine, but right? That's fine. Someone's going someone's gonna to make that one way or the other eventually. But then again, yeah. we've hit a lot of stuff inside yeah. the Battle of Endor at this point. You know, <laughs> um, we we talked an uh, episode or two ago about Mr. Bones, and so we know that uh, Snap Flexley's mom was part of the Battle of Endor. We know that Hera and the Ghost are at the Battle of yep. Endor. We know that Sabine is at the Battle of Endor in theory. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of characters that showed up there, which is fine because there's a lot of room for a lot of characters yes, to be there. Totally. Um, but that's that's pretty cool. I mean, the other thing about it is like if Rex is there though, he's 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 an old dude. Hey, he's still spry. Because it's like what? So they're like ten when they're finished clones, like when they're prepared for battle. Okay. So. At the Battle of Geonosis, like all of them are approximately biologically twenty years old, yeah, and give or take, in I real time, fair. ten is like three years, 
to get through the Clone Wars. Okay. So now they're 13 or 26. Yeah. Then you got 19 years between the end of three and the mm-hmm. beginning of four. So that's 32. So that's 32. So that means that they're like 64 yeah. biologically. Yeah. You got what, four or five years or so between New only Hope and- Only about three. Only about three? Three. Okay, so yeah. that would put him at like- 70. Yeah, he's pushing 70. I mean, again- He eats clean, lives he's, a good life. I was a, he's a clone of Tamara yeah. Morrison. He's got Maori blood. I mean, he's <laughs> if anyone's going to age and be still spry at that age, mm-hmm, it's going to mm-hmm. be Tamara Morrison and people cloned from him. It's a fun little theory. I like it. It's fun. Fun little observation. Well, I really liked when they brought in Rebels, the some of the clones back, mm-hmm. and just yeah. seeing like how interesting they are when yeah. they got to be live out a life where they got to yeah. be themselves. It was interesting. It was very interesting. 100%. But if that's you haven't a, watched Rebels, check it out. Oh, yeah. Rebels is good. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll... Uh, We'll, we'll probably eventually get to covering some of that material and stuff, too. Yeah, at some point you're going to make me talk about clones, oh, I know. But covering Rex's story, that's a lot of story. He's yeah, he's got present the clo- so Some of these stuff. clones have so much now. I don't know how we're ever going to fit it It might be like how, the, how we had to break up the Falcon. It's like, you know, if we ever want to do R2-D2, that's like mm-hmm. seven episodes we'll have to break that into. because yeah. like R2-D2-tacular. But, uh, yeah, hopefully we'll get to some of that. Yeah. Uh, and we're going to be happy to have you join us. <laughs> let, let us know what you thought about this format and any other formats we've had. Yep. If you have any opinions, um, anything you'd like to hear us talk about, let us know. We are, we are happy to keep cooking up different ways of producing the show, but any comments and stuff... Um, it just helps us kind of get a feedback loop on mm-hmm. what what's vibe and what's not and uh, helps us, again, try to make the show as entertaining as we can for you, the listener, because you're the most important part of our galaxy. 100% true, Mac. Ready to uh, bring this one in? I'm ready, ready to, to bring it close? in. Let's land this show. All right, friends. All right. It's been a blast. Thank you for joining us for this one. And until we see you next Wednesday, may the force be with you. This production is not endorsed by any other property and is the sole responsibility of Mac Purvis III, Ross Grieco, and those involved in its production. It is meant for entertainment purposes only. Other than content provided by this production's providers, all music, movie clips, and sound bites, rights are reserved, and their respective owners have not endorsed any aspect of this show. Copyright 2019.